Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of Project Tahiti. It's a magical place. I'm one of your hosts, Jess, and I'm joined by your other host, Jared. Hello. Hello. You have no idea how many times I almost say welcome back to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. instead of (laughs) welcome back to Project Tahiti. I think I need to, I like literally almost every time I say it, I almost say Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, which we are not agents of shield we are project td but i just think that's funny (laughs) whoops um before we get started we're a part of the but why though podcast community be sure be sure to check them out on twitter at but why though pc and their website at but why though podcast.com we're super proud to be a part of their inclusive and wonderful nerd community this is a heavy episode on many fronts Sky and Jaying and May. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of commentary as far as like Sky's moms go. <laughs> um, right? This was like such an emotional episode. Yeah. So this is season two, episode 17, titled Melinda. So we know this is going to be about Melinda May, written by DJ Doyle, directed by Gary A. Brown, who I believe is new to the roster. And originally aired April 14th, 2015. And his name, for some reason, makes me think of F. Gary Gray, who did the uh, Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> and <laughs> I think he's doing it. Well, well, Gary A. Brown, F. Gary Gray. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They both have color yes. names and Gary is in, in initials. I don't know why, but I was just immediately I was like, oh, yeah, I do want to see that new uh, Men in Black with uh, Hemsworth and, and Tessa Thompson. <laughs> yes. I think that's an F. Gary, F. Gary Gray uh joint not a gary brown (laughs) (laughs) but there's some mcu tie-ins there with tessa thompson and chris hemsworth well i'll use that as my excuse for why it's on my mind (laughs) (laughs) oh man so this episode begins seven years ago um and it's very steamy may and andrew are showering together they're clearly still married they're talking about starting a family this is a very different may she's like playful and flirty and this is not the may that we're used to seeing and um, she's they're getting she's getting ready to go on a mission, and Colson shows up early to pick her up. And she's like, "Oh, he's always early." So Colson comes in and he helps himself to their coffee. He's clearly very comfortable with with May and Andrew <laughs> as a married couple. Um, and you know, Andrew says bye, and they go off to their mission. And they talk about how you know, when she gets back, they have to get to work to start their family. <laughs> um, so they're on. I think what is it looks like the bus is what they're on right i think so definitely or something or something that's similar to the bus maybe yes. not actually the bus um and they they're may and colson are kind of talking about how there's a lot of resources being diverted to the triskelion and they're going to decommission this this airplane and um colson mentions that fury is trying to get the avengers initiative up and running and he's like no we want to have heroes powered heroes um to help defend the earth and that's what fury's up to and um, we find out that this mission is um, S.H.I.E.L.D. is going after an index candidate named Eva Belyakov, and she is thought to have enhanced strength. And she's been uh, the Russians have been looking for her and she escaped them. And now she's in Bahrain. So they're going to Bahrain to try to recruit her um, if possible. Um, so we go to the Iliad, which is the aircraft carrier. <laughs> The giant ship <laughs> that belongs to Gonzalez. Um, and May is on the ship with Bobby and Weaver, and she is in like the control room. So she is clearly not a prisoner anymore. And um, 
it's mentioned that uh, Shield is tailing Fitz, and so he's being followed. Uh, and Weaver mentioned something called Theta Protocol, which is something Coulson mentioned many episodes ago um, to the Koenigs before they went into the Kree Temple. He's like, you guys need to get out of here um, and be ready to enact Theta Protocol. Um, I need someone not here in case this goes south. So that's the only other time we've heard this mentioned. And she also mentions Mike Peterson, Deathlock, as being an active asset. And these are both a surprise to me. She's obviously never heard of that, that she she didn't know that Mike Peterson was active and she didn't know about Theta Protocol, but she kind of tries to hide it, which she doesn't do a very good job of. She's like, Coulson doesn't, blur, doesn't bore me with the details, um, which brings up an interesting point in this episode of Coulson keeping secrets, even from who we think is his bestie and his most trusted agent. Um, but May asks Weaver and Bobby if she can take control of the playground um, so she can help bring in Coulson. She's playing as if she is on their side. So we go to Afterlife, and Jai Ying is getting to know Sky. She's like, tell me about your life. Tell me about your time at S.H.I.E.L.D. And Sky's like, I, you know, they were like family to me and I love them. And up until, up until they started chasing me in the woods um, and she's worried about them. She thinks something's happening, but she doesn't know how to help them. And um, they start to talk about her gift and Jai Ying mentions, you know, as Gordon did in a previous episode that Sky can sense frequencies and she can manipulate them. So everything is vibrating and she can tap into that somehow. And so Jayun's like, everything is vibrating. So the rock, the mountain, the trees, everything. Um, so she's like, I think you can listen to them and and hear them. And so she gives Sky this rock and Sky tries to listen to it. And she's like, oh, wow, I can hear it. But not the rock. I can hear the mountain that is in front of them. And so Jayun's like, why don't you try tapping into the frequency of the mountain? And Sky's kind of hesitant. She's like, oh, I don't know. Like the last time I did this, People got hurt and Chang's like, look, you're not going to hurt me and you're not going to hurt the mountain. We're fine. Like this is a safe place for you to practice. And so Sky reaches out and she causes an earthquake in the mountain and it, there's an avalanche that's caused, which part of me was thinking, okay, I'm sure all the animals that were on the mountain that are now being crushed by this avalanche are being harmed, but I guess we don't care about that. That's fine. <laughs> but the music in this moment is so beautiful. And just like Sky, like coming into her own and realizing how powerful she is and how beautiful her powers are and Jaying being the one to guide her to that is amazing. And it's such a huge moment for this character. And we find out from Lincoln shortly after this, our favorite Lincoln, um, that Jiang is in charge of this entire this entire outfit, <laughs> um, and she doesn't take proteges on ever. Like this is a, a very unusual circumstance. Um, so I think Sky's starting to figure out that Jiang is is someone important, maybe to her, even though we know who she is. So we go back to Bahrain seven years ago, and Belyakov is at a cafe, an outdoor cafe, and Coulson approaches her, and he offers to help. And May is watching this little girl run around, and she's kind of smiling at her, you know, excited to start her family with her husband and, you know, just watching her run around, which is weird because there's, like, a white girl running around in Bahrain just, like, playing with people. Doesn't that seem suspicious? But whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. Um 
And she realizes that there's some locals coming into the fray and she warns Coulson. Um, and Coulson asks Billy Cobb what she's looking for. And um, he's like, you know, we can help you. What do you want? And Billy Cobb says, I want your pain. And then she launches a bench at him and the locals grab the little girl and run into the warehouse and lock themselves in. It's <laughs> not going well. Um Back at Afterlife, Gordon is talking to Raina about her transition, and she's talking about how, you know, I I hate being awake, but I also hate being asleep because I have terrible nightmares. And Gordon relates to her because he has also had a physical transformation that very, very much affected his life and his, his way of life. And Lincoln tries to weigh in and Gordon's like antagonistic towards him. He's like, dude, you don't know. You don't know what it's like because you didn't have a physical transformation like we did. Like get out of yeah. here. <laughs> it, that part did remind me like, like of a, uh, like, you know, I've talked before about uh, similarities between the way the X-Men have traditionally been portrayed and like mutants mm-hmm. uh, and with the way they're kind of doing the Inhumans on the show here and in general at Marvel at the time and uh, the time of its, of its airing. And this is like a super common, I think thread in those stories where there are, where people have these superpowers where dudes who look like Lincoln, where who men and women who, who only have powers and they look the same compared to people who have these physical mutations have a much easier time. And for them, it's like, it's not the same. It's almost like a commentary on like white passing people of color versus like definitely is like the colorism thing with like more dark skinned people of color. Like, and and what's it's cool because I feel like it came something like that came naturally. Like when I think about the the stories I first read, those ideas introduced in with like X Men stories, they're written by a bunch of privileged, you know, white dudes like. You know, Chris Claremont is like British by way of Canada. <laughs> you know, it's like, 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 I don't think you had a whole, a whole lot of crazy prejudice growing up. It's like your parents have a British accent. I don't think I don't think you had any problems, uh, but at least not with that. But yeah, it's like at the same time, them just, I think, trying to put their put themselves in the place of those characters, like thinking of what it's like for someone like Beast and Nightcrawler, or in this case, Gordon and Reyna versus someone like, you know, Cyclops and Jean Grey and, and Rogue and, and, and uh, Lincoln, you know, these good looking people who like can hide their powers from the public versus someone who like, when you look at them, you know, they're different, you know, they're not normal or not human or whatever. It's like, that's, I think their just natural evolution of that story. Like it created like something that has a direct parallel to that commentary and then someone with an actual, you know, frame of reference can, it can bring insight to it. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a cool way that you know, I think a sci-fi trope or, or idea like became something more powerful and more meaningful. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Cause I, I don't, I, I seriously doubt that any of the creators like had that intention as well, a commentary. I'm, like- I'm positive when they started, they didn't, but it's like, but on this show right now, like with the scene that's being written, like it's possible, like yeah, Mo did. I, yeah, no, I <laughs> like, think right? I think in the show, but right, not right. in like the X Men comics. Oh no, no, like- no, like absolutely, absolutely. I don't think that when <laughs> when it came out, like that's what I meant. Like, like I think it was just a total coincidence. Yeah, like like they weren't they weren't thinking like they they definitely were thinking of it as like civil rights metaphors. But back then, I think I don't think the nuanced colorism commentary. They were lucky. Oh no, they, it was it was not nuanced. It was, yeah, <laughs> it was pretty. I don't think they were thinking about it super deep at all. Yeah, like oh god, there's some really problematic stuff. There's an issue where Kitty Pride yells at her dance teacher, a character named Stevie Hunter, who's a black woman, 
about like how bad it is being a mutant but it's like this is a story written by a white dude talking about a fake slur about a fake minority group having a character talking to someone else about it who is like she's a jewish character this is the 80s when like at the height of like i think of discussion of holocaust survive survival because there were vocal holocaust survivors talking about it for the first time it's like you had something real you could actually talk about like actual prejudices and compare it to the mutant condition and you root it in something that this character could be going through but instead you had a white person yelling at a black person about oppression it's just like it's one of the most like laughed at scenes now but but like no it it reminds me of um i think luke cage and um iron fish Sorry. <laughs> Iron Fist. I can't not call him that. No, that's okay. Um, <laughs> in, uh, in the Defenders, um, and just like their conversation about like how they've how how their abilities have changed their lives and how they're looked at differently. And Luke Cage is like, dude, like you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like you need to you need to take that privilege down a notch. It is. You're telling me a black man who has been incarcerated, like <laughs> what your life is like, like, no. So, yeah, I, I was just thinking like the specific attempts at being political and nuanced that those dudes had, like, yeah, there was no way that like, you're like, you're absolutely right. There's no way they were, they were going at it from a super deep level, but, but like, I do feel like at least they were trying and maybe that's part of why it's so easy to slide in more modern metaphors and, and experiences if it's done well. But like there was just uh, never digression, but there was just an issue out when we recorded this, uh, that same week uh, of uncanny X-Men where a character, a Scottish character who is a, a mutant who was like a werewolf basically <laughs> was, was killed be, in, in a story. Like, like the language used in it is like super, like, like it's, it's supposed to be a very obvious metaphor for uh, violence against uh, trans individuals and like talking about like, we just, we just want to see, you know, what she really was and this and that. And like, like it was really, it's gross. And like, it could be powerful. They could have put a warning. They could have consulted with trans individuals, (laughs) but instead a, a a straight white dude who has since come out. And I, I I do give him the props that he's been on like an extended uh, social media hiatus where he comes out like you know every other week to promote a book like with one tweet and that's it but hasn't been commenting on anything but he came out not to defend himself but to apologize and just say like flat out like that i was misguided and i see that and like yeah. he kind of owned up to it which is the best you can do but at the same time like don't want the don't stop letting this get to that point <laughs> i know <laughs> god let's have a few more people in the process in the chain who do have experiences who can uh who can actually like speak have commentary to it. Yeah, yeah on that because this did feel like like you said like this felt like maybe it did have a good metaphor there but i feel like if if it did it's because of mo not because of jeff Loeb. no offense <laughs> well maybe offense i don't care yeah yeah absolutely and it's just funny that it's like that it's like two white men and a black woman having this conversation when it's like dude like you could have this could have been a conversation with like all people of color and it would have been so much more meaningful, but whatever. <laughs> like yeah. we got Lincoln and we're stuck with it. Yeah, at, least we, at least we had someone calling Lincoln out on having, having a really easy privileged life. Yes. <laughs> <Which> like, <laughs> it could be worse. It could be. 
Um, so in this scene, uh, Raina actually talks about one of her nightmares and she says, yeah, I have these horrible nightmares where I'm being chased and pursued. And then I have dreams of Sky having dinner with her father and there's a bouquet of daisies and she's just so happy and it's not fair because she's happy and I'm not. And it seems really petty, but this comes back later in the episode. Um, so Jai Ying and Sky are practicing her vibrating powers with um, water glasses. And so they're like making music with the glasses. And then Sky goes overboard and destroys everything. And Jai Ying is just very unconcerned. She's like, well, your gift is very destructive. But also, it's very beautiful. Look at the music you can make. And Sky is very like, she's happy, but she's like, something's up. Like, and Chang's like, where is this coming from? And she's like, look, I was in foster care. Like, I, I, I'm 25 and I've never lived in a place for more than two years. She's ungrounded and unsettled and she doesn't even know when her birthday is. And Chang Ying um, is like, your birthday is July 2nd. And she tells part of the story of the night of her birth. And Sky's like, oh my God, like, I now know who you are. And it's so emotional. This moment just made me cry so hard when I was watching this. And Jiang's like, I wanted to tell you. Um, and I know, I, I know that you knew. And Sky's like, I was too afraid to hope. And she says tears in her eyes. And it's, oh God, this reunion is just, it's so much. So um, the next scene, they're standing outside and Jiang comes up to Sky and she's like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah. Um, and Jiang's like, look, I wanted to run to you the moment I saw you, but I couldn't. Um, joining our people had to be your choice. And you went through the mists without your consent. And you deserved to have that choice. Um, and she mentions that they have to keep their relationship a secret because um, because of a lot of reasons that we'll find out in a minute. And so she agrees that that will be their secret. God. And it's like she finally gets to meet her mom, like someone she never thought she would ever meet. And now she can't even talk about it and be excited about it with anyone. <laughs> like she just has to keep it to herself. Ugh, all the feels. So back at the playground, May returns and Simmons is so happy. She like hugs her and is like, oh, my God, everyone keeps leaving. Like, I'm so glad you're here. Um, and May asks Simmons if she knew that she was working on Deathlock technology. And Simmons is like, no, I was working on like some battery pack. And May's like, no, this is Deathlock's new like battery pack upgrade. <laughs> like you've been working on Deathlock technology. And she's like, also, do you know what Theta Protocol is? And Simmons is like, I have no idea. So they're starting to realize that Coulson was keeping a lot of secrets from them, which sucks. Um, we go back to the Bahrain storyline and um, S.H.I.E.L.D., the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents go into the warehouse and they're taken out in minutes. Like everybody's down. Twelve agents are down. Um, and the Bahrainis show up and they're trying to take control, <laughs> control of the situation. And May's like, no, I'm going in. So May goes in alone and Coulson goes over to stall them. And he's like, all right, are we going to talk nukes or are we going to talk biological weapons? So he decides to go with the biological weapon story, which is ironic because technically this is a human, inhuman weapon. It is a biological weapon, I guess, considering they were Cree experiments <laughs> to be weapons. Um, let's see. Oh, um, before May goes into the warehouse, she calls Andrew and they have this conversation like, I'm going in alone. I just want to say I love you. And Andrew's like, you, you always come back. Like, I'm not worried. Like, do good, Melinda, and and come back. Which is sad because, she, like, May doesn't really come back after this. Like, she is very changed <laughs> after this episode. 
Um, and she's like sneaking around in the base and she's taking people out being badass and she finds Agent Hart and all the other agents and she realizes they're being controlled by Belyakov and so she locks them in this room and she goes and runs to take out Belyakov and who she thinks is controlling everybody and we find out later that is not necessarily the case. Back at the playground, um, Simmons has discovered some disturbing things about Coulson's activities. He's been using shell companies to divert resources, like a lot of money is going towards some something. Um, and his recruitment trips were all covers. He was actually going to other places that he was not saying. Um, and he's been meeting with Andrew without May's knowledge, which is like the biggest blow to May. She's like, what the fuck? Um, and Matt comes in and suggests that he might be building a base for powered people. And of course, he would need all these bunks and all this money and a good psychologist. So it only makes sense. Um, we go to Afterlife and Gordon is comforting Raina and he's like, I'm going to be your guide. I'm going to help you through this. Um, it's going to be OK. And it's really sweet to like. I feel like we've been shown a very specific side of Raina and we haven't been very sympathetic towards her. And now we're kind of getting this more sympathetic we're, we're seeing other characters be sympathetic towards her whereas we haven't really seen that from anyone else on the show before it's either you know cal even cal like her one ally just like abandons her and is like i don't care about you anymore <laughs> and tried to choke her out when she didn't bring sky to him in a, in a timely fashion so this is like the only person that we've seen like show her kindness and i don't know that that's sad um but it's also it's nice to see even if she Maybe we feel like she doesn't deserve it, but everybody deserves it. <laughs> um, so Jai Ying is talking to Sky about um, how she's worried about showing favoritism. Um, and th that's why they have to keep their relationship a secret. She's the one who set up all these rules and she can't break her own rules. She can't be shown to break her rules for her daughter. Um, and when people usually, when inhumans skip the evaluation and transition process, there is a swift response, which she saved Sky from. So she starts to tell the story of Belyakov and Bahrain and Sky is like, wait, I know this story. This is the cavalry story. And so we go back to Bahrain and we see that May is fighting Belyakov to protect this little girl that's in the warehouse. And she gets shot in the leg and she's like beating up everybody that's being controlled. And then she stabs Belyakov and she dies. And then, but the controlled agents and dudes are still coming at her and she's like stop like she's not controlling you anymore and then the little girl shows up and she realizes mm -hmm. so the little girl is the one that's controlling everybody she's the inhuman and um we are going back and forth between scenes so jaying explains that eva her mother stole the Terrigen crystals and she wanted her daughter to, to get her birthright to go through Terrigenesis against Jaying's judgment. Um, Jaying saw darkness in this girl. And so she um, she was only, what, like six years old, eight years old, something like that. She was too young to undergo this transformation and she went insane. And this is who this little girl is. And so May... May sees that the little girl is the one that is controlling everybody and she has to take her out. And so she shoots her and she kills this little girl. And the scene where Coulson hears the gunshot and they finally run inside to see what happened. May is just sitting on the floor cradling her with this horrified look on her face. It's just like empty and void. And she's just, it's so sad. It's such a horrible visual. And Jiang's line of dialogue over this is, my people know too well what a woman will do for her daughter. Um, and there's just so many parallels in this between May 
and Shying, and like May is like like Sky's shield mom, and Jaying is like her actual mother, and just the things that May had to do, like wanting to be a mother, and she had to do this. Like, oh, there's just so many things in this, so many threads <laughs> in this moment and in this story, from like Eva Belyakov um, to her daughter Katya, and and Jaying and Sky, and then May and and her kind of. Her, her trauma from this. And afterwards, Coulson is trying to comfort May. And he says that line that we remember from season one, he's like, you have to let the girl go. And so this is where the cavalry legend is born. And she is so traumatized. She can't even function at home with Andrew anymore. She can't even be touched. It just reminds her of, of the situation. And she asks to be transferred out of operations and to get a desk job because she just can't handle being in the field anymore. She is so shaken by this. And it's so sad. So um, the next scene, Jiang and Sky are walking to this room and she Jiang's talking about how she owes a debt to Cal because he fulfilled his promise. Like he never gave up on Sky. Like he always looked for her and he found her and he deserves something for that. And so she's like, let's just have this one dinner, this one time. You don't ever have to see him again after this. Um, but he's actually like really charming and sweet in this scene. And he's like telling stories and, you know, they're telling the story of the night of her birth. And he says, oh, you know, 1988. And, and Sky's like, wait a minute. I'm 26. I'm not 25. And then they toast to her birthday that she didn't have yet. <laughs> um, and Lincoln walks in and realizes that this is exactly what Raina saw in her dream, that Raina can see the future and that it's not just dreams. So we find out what Raina's power is. Anyway, their dinner is just like a really sweet moment. And it's like, it's it's funny because Sky is like cl very clearly uncomfortable, but she's like humoring Cal. But at the same time, Cal is like really trying, and Jaying is like kind of humoring everybody. But <laughs> I don't know. I really liked that. So the very end scene is Fitz in the bathroom of a restaurant, and he's opening Fury's box, and the guys that are tailing him from Shield are like knocking on the door, like, "Hey, dude, it's been twenty minutes," and he's like. Just let a man work in peace. And uh, so with Fury's box, he's able to contact Hunter and Coulson and they're going to team up. They're going to help help uh, Fitz get rid of these guys. And uh, it's really cute. Fitz is like, can I join up with you guys? Like, can I come hang out anyway? <laughs> like, it's just so cute. <laughs> so Fitz is going to be OK. Everybody's going to be OK. And that's the episode. It was man. It was a rough one, though. Like, like the stuff with with Jaying and and. Uh, and Sky was powerful, but I feel like even more so the stuff with uh, with May's flashback Ugh. was just so rough. Like they they put both of those moments in this one episode. <laughs> like, good lord, there's just so much. Like, honestly, like we we like have been leading up to this moment in May's character development for a long time. Like it's been a season and a half, pretty much, of us knowing what the cavalry is and hearing all these like all these stories about it we kind of knew what happened like Coulson kind of set the story straight but we didn't real like we didn't know May's side of the story and Coulson didn't even really know May's side of the story we didn't know that she had to kill a little girl to like protect people and she's like haunted by it and we also didn't realize that little girl was an inhuman and that that's intimately connected with Jaying and her people um and by extension with Sky and so May is just connected to Sky in this really unique way. Um, and 
that in that's that's going to inform her her attitudes on in humans and spoiler section time because I want to talk about Andrew like I can only imagine like I didn't even think about this when I was watching season three but we know what Andrew becomes in season three Lash is his name right yeah yes like the fact that like May is so connected to Inhumans in this way. It's like so connected to her, one of her worst traumas. Like the fact that like her, essentially her adopted daughter is an Inhuman and then her husband becomes one is like, or her ex-husband. It's like, dude, can we give her a break, please? (laughs) Oh my God. It's, there's just so much. The one other thing I'll say about this episode is um, we start softening up to Cal a little bit at the end. And that continues on throughout the rest of the season. Like there, like there's some pretty bad moments with him in some coming episodes, but he just, he turns out to be the good guy in this story. And Jaying turns out to be the villain, which is, it sucks, but it's kind of, it's interesting how his character arc throughout this, this season is, is settling into this now um, where he just, he, his whole motivation has been just, he just wants to be with his family and he just wants to protect, Daisy. Although I feel like they don't completely absolve him, though. I mean, you're right. Like he gets an arc, but like at the same time, he is not absolved. <laughs> he still did all that stuff, and he still is yeah. crazy. Like, like, and there are times when he prioritizes, you know, revenge over keeping Daisy safe. Like, <laughs> yes, like, he's just bonkers. <laughs> like, and he does a great job at it, but he's so yeah. bonkers. he's so bonkers. Even when he's like being sweet, and um, he's like, I just want this day, this night to be perfect, this moment to be perfect. Like, he's so obsessed with perfection that he's just like crazy about it. No, for sure. Um. And he even has like crazy eyes. He's like telling the story so, of like, your mom had to clean the house before she told me she was in labor with you and that there was no car and I didn't speak Chinese. Like he's just. He's, he is really good at the crazy eyes. Yeah, he is. But it's it's also like sweet because we know that he's really trying. We know that he's like a super emotional, crazy person. And this is him really trying to like keep it cool and to just be normal. Um. So I don't know. Um, I remember that Jed Whedon actually at the WonderCon panel mentioned that he, uh, one of the characters that he wanted to see back again or that he missed um, was Cal. <laughs> and I totally I totally get it because he's such a fascinating character and he's so well played by Kyle McLaughlin. Like the crazy is played well. The angry is played well. Like the complexity is there. And if they were cool with like working if – if the film side was cool with working with them, it's like in the past in the comics – uh, what do you call it? Mister Hyde has been a f- member of the uh, Masters of Evil, like the like the, 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 the team up team of villains that fight the Avengers. Like, how cool Ooh. would it be to like have that happen? But, That'd be really cool. Well, I can't now because yep. he's it's all ruined. Written out, <laughs> it's all ruined. Um, there's a comics connection. There is. It's. I mean, it's it's a the the other way. It's a where they adapted <laughs> from from Shield. Oh, that's cool. Which is cool. It's one of those rarities, but we got one. Uh, just like you know, we we I told you about the weird one-off appearance of Gordon and whatnot. We have mm-hmm. Katya Belikov, uh, the child who's like the origin of the cavalry name that you talked about. How heartbreaking all that is is sort of adapted. It's just a one-panel flashback. They talk about all the different stuff the way they do on the show in a in an issue called. It's called the Calvary colon shield 50th anniversary. Number one we covered it at November of 2015. So it came out at the end of the summer 
just a couple months before that. Uh, so that was probably produced right around the time that this that this aired. So like like they were uh, creating this like as a response to this story, and uh, in, in it, May is training a bunch of Shield operatives in the comic universe, and they're speculating about the name Calvary, and they have an operation where they have to fight robot dogs, I think, and go out of control on <laughs> a training exercise. Of course, this all makes a lot of sense. Not at all silly, <laughs> uh, but in it, at the, throughout, <laughs> there's all these like different flashback sequences that are told in black and white. And at the end, when she's talking to Coulson, there's one shot that is supposed to be, uh, I think, evocative of this with her holding a child. You can't even tell what, what it's just a child with short, dark hair and t-shirt and jeans, and May is holding him and or her, and they're both look like they're maybe covered in blood spatter. It's it, it's a very sad and emotional panel. But it doesn't really provide any context of how it went down in the comics, and uh, it's only labeled as Katya Belikov and different like uh, fan materials. As far as I can tell, it's not anything in official or in the comic. But it's a reasonable leap to make, like that it's supposed to yeah. represent that character. Uh, although we don't know how that story went down, we don't know if it had anything to do with humans or superpowers or anything at all like it, because the story itself isn't told, and things are so different, you can't really take anything like that for granted and assume. Since Gordon is what yeah. thousands of years old, <laughs> I mean, yeah, right? There's all sorts of uh, reasons we shouldn't make those assumptions. They did have some sort of uh, acknowledgement of this character. This is a story by Jody Hauser and Luke Ross. Yeah, the um, <laughs> the weird. Thought I'm almost always compelled to mention. Usually, it's uh, when Black Widow is part of our discussion. But uh, Belikov yeah. would be a male, masculine last name. Those last names oh. in Russia and Ukraine and the surrounding area, Polish and whatnot, yeah. uh, that end in Kov or Kov, uh, are masculine and ended in Kov, uh, Kova, if they are, uh, or Ova, yeah. Nova, if they are a, a female name. So, Katya Belikov is a misname, misnomer. She'd be Katya Belikova. Huh. Someone didn't research their Russian before. <laughs> yeah. But but then again, she's Natasha Romanoff. Uh, so they never do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like they, they, they haven't been for 50 years. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. Because I'm thinking of like Crime and Punishment, Raskolnikov. That's masculine. Okay. <laughs> That's the only example I have of from Russian literature. I know nothing else. <laughs> All right. What else should we talk about? Five minutes. Uh, <laughs> got no other comics connections for real. I'm trying to think. Oh, um, slightly uh, just an odd thing. I recognized her. Uh, the actor who played Katya in it is Ava Akers, who I recognized from uh, mm-hmm. one of my favorite um, more recent shows crazy ex-girlfriend she plays the younger version of the main character rebecca bunch <laughs> and she's really really funny in it it's a character who has it's a, it's like the whole story is actually about mental illness and it's really really great i highly recommend that the whole series is done and now available on netflix but she just plays this little kid who's like mm-hmm. uh you know pre-diagnosed bipolar disorder when she's like 11 but like in like a really like <laughs> like intense moments in these flashbacks to her childhood and she does a great job. Like, and it just made me think like she can play like a manic kid or in this like really like disturbing, like chillingly disturbing scenes in this one. And it's a really good job. Like she's a solid oh my God. child actor. Yeah. But it, 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 then I was thinking about it and I think she also, I looked it up and she also played a character on uh once upon a time, which I watched far longer than I should have because I, 
for for all sort for all sorts of reasons. Yeah, so we all uh, did, but uh, <laughs> but she played the younger yeah. version of Regina on that. So uh, the this Snow White Wicked Queen. So oh. for a little while, she's kept playing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, young the young version of of person of people. <laughs> the the young version of she's typecast as insane children. <laughs> Yeah. The young and uh, mentally yeah. disturbed version. <laughs> it's a weird oh. typecast to get when you're like 11. It's like, you're going to ask right? you to mimic an adult who's crazy. Can you do that? <laughs> but she did a great job in all in all of those things. Yeah. So uh, good yeah. for Ava Akers. Hope she goes on to good stuff. Man, the, the acting that Ming-Na does in this episode, like from start to finish, like just happy go lucky May. And then we get like super traumatized May. And then we get like super depressed, like PTSD May at the very end, like so hard to see like our beloved Melinda May. just. When just knowing that like she was going to try to have kids with Andrew and then it changed after this, yeah. like no, it's not even an option. Yeah. Like she can't even, she can't even stand to be touched by him. She's so traumatized. And the fact, oh my God. And that makes all of this in all the stuff that happens in season five with, um, what's the girl's name? Robin. Robin. Oh my God. Isn't that her name? The, uh, the, or, or, the Oracle. Yeah. It's the real oh. Oracle. Yes. <laughs> like all that stuff is so heartbreaking. Like when you, when you cycle it back to this, I mean, we know that like when you're watching season five, but just to be reminded of like how horrible this was for everybody and like no one even knew. She just like locked that down and didn't tell anybody and just held that, held on to that for so long. I mean, at this point, I don't even think Coulson knows. I think Daisy now and Jaying are the only people that know outside of May herself, right? I think. Because Coulson just knows that like something happened i don't think he realized that i mean does he know does he know that she killed the girl uh, no i think he does but, uh, but like i think in the okay. moment when she's when she first walks out he doesn't but i think he she explains what happened to him because he's right? superior you know like she, she i don't think she just shut down and no one knows i think it's just that people beyond or below a certain pay grade don't know so i think like she and fury probably know and maybe even like i don't think at the time Maria Hill would know, but like later on, maybe she yeah. had to access that information. But just the way it's always being talked about with like speculation, mm-hmm. I think I I, I think Colson is supposed to know. I don't think it's like a Nick Fury's eye thing. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right too. Because and I think Colson is the type of agent that wouldn't tell that story because it's not his to tell. Type oh, of thing. Absolutely. Like he'll give. Like he's, I mean, he told Sky what she needed to know to understand that everything else that she was hearing was bullshit. But, and in that, I think in that scene too, or at least in that episode, like Sky was pretty antagonistic towards May. Like she didn't trust her yet. Like they had a very, like, kind of uh, off relationship at that point. Uh, but now they're they're in a much different place. Um, but yeah, God, what else can we say? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like. I'm struggling here. No, this one uh, was pretty straightforward. It was it was a, a a powerful one, but but there wasn't a whole lot of like, I don't know. Yeah, Th- they were two powerful plots, but they were both kind of straightforward. And yeah. I feel like it's not that everything took a back seat, but we didn't get as much forward momentum on like the real shield plot, you know? 
Yeah. I mean, we're starting to see the unraveling of like Colson's secrets with May and Simmons. Like they're starting to realize like, oh, he actually did keep a lot from us. But that is like so much more is explained in the coming episodes. So I don't want to talk about that yet because it'll just we'll just be repeating ourselves. Right. <laughs> so maybe this will, this episode is just going to be on the shorter side. Sorry, everybody. Um, I am excited about the Hunter, uh, Fitz and Coulson team up that's coming up because Fitz and Hunter together being Brits um, and being sarcastic and quipping off of each other is always fun. And then Coulson is a- along for the ride. It's great. <laughs> and it reminds me of in season five when Hunter and Fitz team up. Yeah, they're, they're soccer go- bros. Yeah. And there's a soccer. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And there's actually, I know. Um, And there's actually like a mention of that in this episode. Fitz is like, are you watching Mexican football? And Hunter's like, we're at an undisclosed location. (laughs) Like Fitz figures out where they're at. Um, But yeah, I'm excited about that team up. I'm excited for their team up as well. They're a lot of fun. And it's like you, like you mentioned uh, when you first remembered their friendship from uh, them kind of talking about it at the, uh, convention at the panel yeah. uh, but like I, I i feel like i don't know it's it's nice to see it because uh it's not something we have anymore sort of i don't know what, what like all the other friendships that are developed we've gotten to keep seeing more of and it's it's nice to see like a little flashback to that moment yeah uh, sadly we don't have anymore since nick blood is no longer on the show also it just makes me sad because all of fitz's relationships are kind of fucked up at this point like in in this in season six. Oh, i mean in season six they're maybe like, fucked up forever we don't really know i feel yeah. like the best chance he has with anyone is deke <laughs> right <laughs> because he has, but that's like kind of fatalistic because deke's like well you have to exist for me to true. exist but even then like their relationship is antagonistic like they fits is so annoyed by deke and it's hilarious <laughs> But I just feel like they have a potential to start over, like like because yeah. all Deke has is knowing that he needs to be okay with him existing because he requires <laughs> him, and he'll have no prior annoyance because he'll have met him, you know, from the beginning all over again. Although knowing both their personalities, he's going to be annoyed again. So yes, I don't know. this is It'll true. It's a di- he's meeting a different Fitz. That's so weird. Oh my god, so confused. And we'll have gotten we'll have gotten to that part. Both the viewers and and where we are by now when this episode's released, but like that's another thing from the uh, from the season premiere, like man, like all all we've seen when we're recording this is the season premiere and uh, of, of six, and it's like we don't even know what's up with Fitz. <laughs> no, like, like, oof, it's we don't, we get like two seconds yeah, of he him. Could be, he could be far off a deep end already, or just like or totally savable. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know at all. What if he's not savable? <gasps> what if he's like a dick? Oh, God, no. <laughs> they can't do that to us. They can't. How many timelines are we creating? I know. Well, how many horrible Fitz characters are we creating? There's going to be, like, we have, uh, what is uh, what is the name of the alternate reality? Not the alternate the reality, but the... Thank you. We have Framework Fitz, who's awful. No, we have, and then we have Post Framework Fitz, who's like traumatized and also awful in some ways, but also not. We awful have now dead because... Post Frameworks time traveled forward and then went back Fitz, and we also have yeah. Post Frames Post Framework 
frozen, but not for nearly as long. And in space, fit like well, I don't even know <laughs> bounty hunter fits that we don't know anything about. Yeah, it's this is all insane uh, for sure. It does remind me a little bit of one thing I was going to mention when we were talking about our Disney Plus speculation in the last part of Endgame. We can I can squeeze in here it was just it relates a little bit to this because of the idea of divergent timelines that we now know from the Russos and the screenwriters talking about it, that they mean for everything to split, everything splits. And if that's the case, then if, as Shannon said uh, on our first in-game episode, if the Loki series spins naturally out of him running off with the Tesseract right there, then it's in a completely different timeline. It has nothing to do with the rest of the MCU. So it can't, or it's just separate. And that was totally pointless. Utterly pointless. Yeah. So I hope that's not the case. I hope it's just like a younger Loki or resurrected or a combination of all these things. Like, oh, resurrected Loki would be great. Like, everybody keeps talking about dead Asgardians, but like, that's like, read, read about the Asgardians. It's a cycle. It's the Ragnarok cycle. They keep getting it happens over and over and over and over and over and over again. So they're just going to all be reborn once everyone else is dead. Thor's just delaying the inevitable. Die already so you can bring back (laughs) Heimdall. But isn't Loki's technically not an Asgardian? So does he qualify? He's still part of a cycle. MC? Okay, okay. He's part of because he just he's in the because well, the Ragnarok cycle is all the realms technically. I think we're supposed to blow up. Oh, too. Okay. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> I think. Cool. Oh God. All crazy. right. I have this crazy Norse Norse Norsemen and their rad religion. <laughs> their rad religion. <laughs> I love it. It's it's awesome. Cycle of death and destruction and rebirth. I just love that when neo Nazis here in the U.S. who like use Norse imagery were tried to create a stink about the ca- about, uh, the Idris Elba casting with the first Thor. Like the official people, like from the actual like real uh, recognized church that still practices Odinism in Norway, was like, nope, we like it. <laughs> like more people talk yeah. about our religion, the better. Go see Marvel's yeah. Thor. I was just like, like this is the best <laughs> possible re- response to something like this. Like if one million moms was like, we hate this because it's anti-Christian, the Pope was just like, no, it's not. Shut up. <laughs> like, it would just be. It's fine. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fine. It's kind of great. <laughs> well, it reminds me of how the Church of Satan is suing Netflix. Oh, with the Sabrina stuff? Well, they, they settled out of court, but have you seen the season two of Sabrina? I haven't. You can spoil. One slight spoiler for our viewers, our listeners, and, and yourself. Uh, they the, the statue gets destroyed oh, in the middle yeah. of the second of the second half of the season. And then the, like there's a plot point around it. It makes sense, but it's yeah. replaced again there's a, it completely works and makes sense and like like absolutely without question if i didn't know that this was that this had happened i just assume it was entirely organic to the story but it's replaced with something different and it uh-huh. makes perfect fucking sense but knowing everything i'm like oh this is absolutely a result of that settlement <laughs> like, like there's no way but it wasn't destroyed and replaced with something different as a coincidence it was a yeah <laughs> but that was good, pretty good great. plot good plot uh usage there to, like to... clear clearly <laughs> they paid them off and said they'd get rid of it and whatever that's the best way to deal with that stuff right <laughs> make it part of the plot that's oh god all right i have nothing else to say about this episode where can yeah. people find you on social media <laughs> uh people can find me at ice no nothing i was gonna say the uh the last thing was just that you can't there's no way 
we could say something out of order about Jai anymore. (laughs) Like we're there's nothing left, right? I put her name in the spoiler section notes because I was like, okay, but I guess you're right. Like we know everything there is to know about her. Like the only thing you could do is like the is at the start of the next episode, you're like, it's this episode. Jai Ying dies later. (laughs) Like that'd be be the only like the only way. I won't do that, I promise. I believe (laughs) you. I have faith. Um, although you know, my, my track record has not been good. Every, all the listeners right now, you don't know this because we've edited it out of literally every episode yeah. that Jaying has been in or not been in in the past, what, oh, six have, episodes? There have been a couple uh, where they listen to the end. <laughs> they get the outtake. Yeah. I don't know why, but I cannot keep her timeline straight for some reason. And I keep accidentally spoiling what happens with her at the beginning when we're doing the synopsis. But no more. And you're like, wait a minute, that hasn't happened yet. And I'm like, fuck! <laughs> Not again. All right, you can find me at Space Jess <laughs> with four S's in the Jess. You can find the podcast at Project Tahiti on Twitter. You can send us an email at projecttahitipod at gmail.com. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Check us out on Google Play. Thank you for listening to Project Tahiti. It's a magical place. <laughs> Catch you later. Bye. Bye.